Take that Bible out and turn in the back of it to page 160, and you will find 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. You know, for a number of years in our culture, we have heard about the dangers of secondhand smoke. You know, for a long time now, the evidence has been irrefutable that if you smoke cigarettes for a period of time, there will be detrimental consequences that you will have from smoking cigarettes. And you can have, uh, potentially get throat and lung cancer. You can get emphysema. I watched that very thing happen to my own father. But secondhand smoke is another interesting issue. Even if you don't personally smoke, if you are exposed to other people who smoke, if those around you are smoking, you can be affected by it. You can experience some detrimental consequences yourself, even though you were not smoking. And in our culture today, I think we have exposure to something else, uh, something else I might call secondhand Sex. And when we talk about secondhand sex, it's sex outside of marriage between a husband and a wife. And we are bombarded with secondhand sex in our culture. We see it all the time on television and in the movies. I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems to be that Hollywood has a fascination now with prostitution, a fascination with the uh, sex capades of playboys and mistresses and desperate housewives with a heavy sprinkling of seduction, casual sex, and all the trimmings that goes with it. A lot of secondhand sex coming our way. You can see it in the music of the day. You can see it in music videos. We get exposed to it on the Internet. You can go into a hip clothing store and there will be picture posters there of people in provocative poses. Um, we can experience secondhand sex today through the concept of, which is really big with the youth, friends with benefits. And of course the benefits are sexual benefits. I have someone who's a friend, but I get some benefits on the side from them. In fact, we are bombarded with secondhand sex even when you go to the grocery store. And you know, you get ready to check out of the lane there and there's these magazines and they have headlines that shout out at us. I want to just read you a few of the recent headlines on the magazines at the grocery store that shout out at us. The five-minute secret to better sex. Moves that will make you a sex goddess. Erotic tips that will rock his world. And then recently I saw this one, Six Guarantees for a Sizzling Marriage. I actually bought that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I really didn't buy that one. Uh, I already have a sizzling marriage. so. <laughs> but see, this stuff's coming at us all the time. And we're exposed in our culture to a culture of sex outside of marriage. And the pollution that comes our way, the lust obsession is so pervasive that I think sometimes our eyes are no longer stinging from it. And our conscience is being hardened. And uh, our faces really don't blush anymore when they probably should. 
See, exposure to sex outside of God's design can bring to us detrimental consequences even when we're not personally involved. And you say, well, how does that happen? Well, because it it begins to affect the way that we think. It begins to affect in subtle ways our own value system. And we are seeing in our study of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that God cares about sex. And we've been looking at that. We began to look at that last week in chapter 4 and verses 1 to 8. And we saw that the specific challenge that God gives to us is this. Keep sex sacred. That's what God wants us to do. Keep sex sacred. If you have your Bible, I'd like to read through verses 1 to 8. invite you to follow along in your Bible as I read what God has to say to all of us here. He says, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk, how, how we ought to live and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is specifically... You abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. God says the central objective is to keep sex sacred. Let your eyes go back there to to verse 3 because it's very plain when we want to talk about the will of God. It's very clearly stated here that we abstain from sexual immorality. And that word sexual immorality we saw last time is the word porneia, P-O-R-N-E-I-A. The word porneia includes all sex that is beyond sex between a husband and a wife in marriage. So all sex beyond sex between a husband and a wife in marriage, he says, I want you to abstain from that. The Phillips translation of verse 3 reads this way, God's plan is to make you holy. And that entails a clean break with sexual immorality. Sexual immorality, porneia, includes premarital sex, even if you are committed to the other person. Porneia includes fooling around with another person's partner, even if you are frustrated with your own. It would include hitting a strip club. It would include online sex and even worse. It's a very broad word. You know, it's interesting how our culture likes to come up with sugar-coated terms. We like to come up with words like hookups, safe sex, Affair, fling. But God calls them all the same thing. He says all of those things are are porneia. They are sexual immorality. And we are to abstain from those things. Do you know that sex apart from marriage is self-worship? It really is. It's self-worship. 
It's all about me. It's all about my lust. It's all about my physical needs. And so God says we need to keep sex sacred. But I'm a practically minded person. I want to know how do you do that? How do we keep sex sacred? And we're going to see today two prongs that relate to that. And uh, I want to just encourage you, by the way, that you take some notes about what we're talking about because we all have the challenge of keeping sex sacred. And so we're going to talk about two ways that we can do that. This is as important as it gets. And if you're not a note taker, I encourage you to get a copy of the message after the service today in the light source to go to the the internet, download it again, uh, get it on your iPod, but listen to this material, process this material, learn from this material because it's so important. How do we keep sex sacred? Well, there's two prongs, and they're really going to be today's plan. We're going to see, number one, we keep sex sacred by living in a sexually, or rather, uh, yeah, sexually honorable way. That's how I got it right the first time, in a sexually honorable way. We're going to see that in verses 4 to 5. And the second way that we keep sex sacred is we steer clear of sexually defrauding other people. And we're going to see that in verses 6 to 8. So that's how we keep sex sacred sacred. We live in a sexually honorable way and we steer clear of sexually defrauding others. So let's look at those two things. That's our plan for the morning. First of all, if we're going to keep sex sacred, we need to live in a sexually honorable way. Look at verse 4 there in chapter 4. He says, this is the will of God that you abstain from sexual immorality. I'm going to expand what that means more. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. What is he referring here when he refers to our vessel? Now, there are some different interpretations about what that means. But I think the best understanding here is to realize he is talking about When he talks about our vessel, he's talking about our body. You can just jot down the reference, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, it says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Same word. And in there, he's talking about, we have the knowledge of the glory of God in these earthen vessels. These physical bodies. We have something from heaven, which is a knowledge of the glory of God that lives inside of our earthen vessels. And I believe that's what he's talking about, our bodies here in chapter 4. So he's saying basically this, each one of you should know how to possess his own body in sanctification and honor. Now here's an interesting way of, of looking at things. And sometimes we just need to look at things a little bit differently, especially young people, because a lot of times young people are saying, well, how far can we go? Or they're thinking, where can I cut the corners? This is a different view. The view here is that we are called by God to live in a sexually honorable way. In other words, the question we really should ask is not how far can we go. The question is, how can I best honor the God who bled and died for me? See the difference in the thinking there? Very, very different. Notice verse 4 again. That each of you. You might underline that phrase if you write in your Bible. Each of you know how to possess his own, and you can underline the word own, vessel. Now I know this is not popular in the culture, but, but what the Bible teaches us is that we are individually responsible. 
I'm responsible for what goes on with my body. You're responsible with what goes on with your body. We're responsible for our actions. We are responsible for our choices. And we're to use our body in a God-glorifying manner. I mean, after all, He indwells us. Each one of us who knows Him personally are walking temples of God. As you... Go into your week this week if you're going to be going to school. Just be thinking about that. You're a walking temple of God as you go to school. If you're going to be going off to work, you are a walking temple of God as you head off to work. And here's what's important. When it talks about possessing our own vessel, each one of us, and being responsible, here's something that that, that is so critical to understand. Purity does not happen... By accident. Living in a sexually honorable way just doesn't accidentally happen. Doesn't work that way. And and I want to just share with you three steps to living in a sexually honorable way. It involves the word aware, avoid, and cultivate. We're going to look at each one of those. Some practical steps to living in a sexually honorable way. If we're going to live in a sexually honorable way, number one... We need to be aware of my unique tendencies and your unique tendencies, our own unique tendencies. You say, well, what do you mean? I don't understand what you're saying. Well, each one of us is a little bit unique. We have our own drives. There are certain things that might tend to weaken our resolve. Now, they're going to be unique to you, but that doesn't mean they're they're unique to the human race. It's just that among human beings, we all have particular things that we tend to find in our life make us more susceptible to not living in a sexually honorable way. They make us more vulnerable. They may weaken our resolve. And we need to be aware of our own unique tendencies. What do I mean by that? Well, for example, you might be more vulnerable or more susceptible to not living in a sexually honorable way when you have idle hands, when you're really not keeping busy. That's exactly what happened to King David. He wasn't really being busy, and it was about that time he got himself in trouble. See, we need to understand our own unique tendencies. Maybe it's, it's, it's through your eyes, the things that you watch that can make you more susceptible and more vulnerable That's very, very common for men. Men are very visually wired. It's also common for some women to say, well, what I watch affects me. It may be that you're more susceptible or more vulnerable when you are tired and you're stressed out. And when you're really stressed out, that's when maybe you say, "I, I make some choices that maybe aren't the wisest choices. Maybe it comes when you are lonely and you're feeling very neglected and that's a very vulnerable time for you. A time when you are more susceptible. Maybe it comes um, from reading. Uh, There are people who read, for example, today, there's a lot of these explicit romance books that are out there and and it seems that's very common for some women to read through those things, get very, very explicit, and that begins to create thoughts in your mind and you suddenly find yourself going places mentally that you wouldn't have gone otherwise. We need to understand and be aware of our own unique tendencies. Now, see, that's not an issue with me. I don't really struggle with what I read putting certain thoughts in my mind. But that may be true for you. And we need to know our own unique tendencies. It may have something to do with the Internet, that that's really where 
I have a, a big battle and where I'm vulnerable. Maybe it's going into chat rooms that aren't the right kind of chat rooms. And so we need to be aware of our own unique tendencies. That's the first step. The second step is we need to avoid enticing situations. Just certain places, certain materials, certain conversation, certain opportunity that may be there, and we need to avoid the enticing situation. Many of you are in business and you travel alone, and and I've mentioned this before. Everywhere you go, if you go into a, a hotel in this day and age, you're going to be there and there's going to be these movies that are available in your hotel room. And uh, that can be pretty intimidating. And, and I've shared, you know, whenever I, I often will travel with my wife when I do travel, but when I travel by myself, I know what's coming. I know the enticing situation that's going to be there. And so I, I make a commitment when I get there to block that stuff off. And sometimes you can do that through the television. Sometimes you just have to make a phone call um, down to the front desk to do that. Why, why do I do that? Because I know myself too well. I know how easy it is for me to start to rationalize. I'm far away from Norman, Oklahoma. There's nobody from Wildwood Community Church here. I'm in a motel room. And so I say, wait a minute. i got to take care of that before it really becomes an enticing situation for me. A number of years ago, there was a book written called Running the Red Lights. It's by Charles Mylander. And I just love the imagery he uses. He says at times, and this has to do with our sexual life, um, there are yellow lights that come up. Remember, a yellow light is a caution light. And part of what he says in the book is we need to be careful about running the yellow lights. If you just run through the yellow lights, when you're getting a sense of caution, you do that long enough, guess what ends up happening? You're going to find yourself facing a red light and you'll have this tendency to want to run it. And so that's the idea here is we need to avoid enticing situations. When we're faced with a yellow light, we're not to run through it. Even worse with a red light. You know, a very common question that you get from young people as they're trying to wrestle through living in a sexually honorable way is the question, how far is too far? And, you know, it's interesting because the Bible obviously says sexual union between unmarried people is wrong, but it doesn't really give a lot of information beyond that. And let me just share with you a principle. If, if you're one of those who might be wrestling with the question, how far is too far, let me just give you a principle that's good to go by. And the principle is this. When what you are doing sexually arouses the other person or yourself, that's probably too far. You see, sexual arousal is designed by God as a preparation for physical union. And so if you're not planning to get to the point of physical union, then that's probably the point that is too far. And when someone is getting sexually aroused, that is at least a yellow light. 
and most likely a red light. We're to live in a sexually honorable way. And so that really means, very importantly, that we must do a couple things. We need to be aware of our unique tendencies. We need to avoid enticing situations. The third thing we need to do, the third step, and it's so important, is we need to cultivate a walk with God. Men and women, we are not called to handle this by ourselves. We need to cultivate a walk with God, and that means a couple of things. Number one, it means reliance on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit God gave to us to empower us. He is the source of power in our life. Galatians 5.16 says, Walk by the Holy Spirit and you will not... What does the rest of the verse say? Walk by the Holy Spirit and you will not... You will not carry out the desire of of the flesh. Isn't that an encouraging verse? <laughs> the New Living Translation says, walk by the Holy Spirit and you won't do what the sinful nature craves. And so it's very important that we cultivate a walk with God. It's not just all this is supposed to go on our back. We need the Holy Spirit to be at work in our heart and in our life. And that involves reliance on the Holy Spirit, cultivating a walk with God, and I think it also involves accountable relationships in our life. You know, God didn't call us into the kingdom of God to be a lone ranger, believer. He called us into a family. And that's part of the reason why we are a family, is God understands we need one another. And you need to motivate me, and I should be motivating you. And we need to be accountable to one another. And so I'm saying this. If you are struggling in this arena of living in a sexually honorable way, tell somebody else who's spiritually trustworthy about it. Because that's part of cultivating a walk with God. Notice what he says in verse 5. Each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. If I could just summarize what his message here is, it would be this. Be different. Be different. Don't operate in lustful passion with your urges unchecked like the Gentiles, like the pagans who do not know God. I mean, the the pagan world out there is basically ruled by their sensual desires. They are passively responding to the demands of the flesh. And God says to us, be different than that. Be different from that. Don't be like the pagans who do not know God. Because we know Him, our lives are to be different. Our lives are to be distinct. For a follower of Jesus, some stuff, some behavior is out of bounds. Be different. By the way, I believe there's two reasons why He wants us to be different. Two of them. Number one, He wants us to be different, to protect us, to protect us. Keep your finger here and turn with me in the Old Testament. Um, Towards the middle of your Bible, you have the Psalms, and then to the right of that you have the Proverbs. And I want you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 6. And we want to look at a, a few verses that underscore how God 
wants us to be different. And part of the reason why is to protect us. To protect us. Notice Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27. It asks some questions here. Verse 27. Can a man take fire in his bosom? Can he embrace fire and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? What's the analogy? So is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. God wants to protect us. Look at, at verse 32. It says, The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He would destroy himself. He who, would, who, he who would destroy himself is the one who does it. Wounds and disgrace he will find, and his reproach will not be blotted out. God says, be different. And one of the reasons why is to protect us. You know, we hear an awful lot about the AIDS epidemic in Africa. And sometimes it just sort of zips right past us. But did you know that in 2004, it is estimated that 3.1 million people on that continent died from AIDS. Now that's hard to process, really. In one year, 3.1 million people. But what many of us aren't fully aware of is that that epidemic has largely come, not exclusively, but largely come from a culture of promiscuity that exists there. Primarily through infected husbands who have been with prostitutes and then have sex with their wives. And and this is really fascinating to me because as the leader goes... So goes the people. A confidential survey by World Vision found this. This is amazing to me. 72% of South African pastors, the leaders, nearly three-quarters of them, admitted to having had extramarital affairs with an average of three to four partners each. You see, he says, be different in part to protect us. He wants to protect us from disease. He wants to protect us from death. He wants to protect us from heartache. He wants to protect us from disappointment. He wants to protect us from broken relationships. I've said this for years, and I I encourage you to write it down because it's so very, very true. And that is this little statement, every negative from God is a positive. If you haven't come to grips with that, you need to. It's always been true. It always will be true. Whenever God says no, there's always a positive reason for it. Every negative from God is a positive. And He wants us to be different in this area of being sexually honorable. And He does it, number one, to protect us. But number two, there's a second reason why He wants us to be different. And that is because we've been adopted into the family of God. And God says, my children, 
My children are called to be distinct and different. Be different is the idea. Be different. And a lot of times, um, maybe many of us are sitting here thinking, uh, boy, I'm glad the young people are, are listening to this. Uh, young people need to be listening to this. And, and uh, a number of us are, are uh, parents with kids that will soon be entering into the dating era. Some of you are going, I can't believe we're getting close to that one. But when we talk about being different, I think we need to be different even as parents. Different from the way the world does things around us. And you know that the younger kids start dating, the greater the temptation for them to get involved sexually. There was a study done by the University of Utah of teenagers. Here's what that study found. It's fascinating to me. If a young person begins dating at the age of 12, there's a 91% chance they will have sex before they graduate from high school. If they begin dating at 13, there's a 56% chance they will have sex before they finish high school. If they begin dating at the age of 14, there's a 53% chance. At the age of 15, it's a 40% chance. And if they begin dating at the age of 16, it drops all the way down to 20%. You know, um, we have four children, uh, three daughters and a son. And I can very, very clearly remember uh, when we were embarking on that first, you know, age time. When, when are we going to let Rebecca date? And Janet and I had a lot of discussions about that and prayed about that issue. And we decided to pick an age to tell our kids you cannot date before a particular age. And that age that we chose was the age of 16. Now, we did not get the age of 16 from some verse in the Bible where we went to Leviticus 13 and there it was, you know, kids should not date till the age of 16. We didn't find it there. Um, But what we desired to do was to be as wise as serpents. Doesn't mean our choice ought to be your choice, but that's what we chose. No dating till the age of 16. Part of what went into that is that we understood the the struggles and the temptations that each of us had had to deal with when we were involved in dating people before the age of 16. And so we said, you know what? It's going to be 16. And even at 16, that meant not a a go-away, disappear-into-the-night date, but a group date. See, even as parents, we need to be different than the pagan world. So sex is to be sacred. How do we keep it that way? Number one, we live in a sexually honorable way. But number two, this is very important and maybe very unusual, not talked about very often, even in the church, we need to steer clear of sexually defrauding other people. Look at verse 6. It says, "I, I want no man to transgress and defraud his brother in the matter. What is the matter at hand here? Well, the matter is sexual activity outside of marriage. And he says, I want no one to transgress or defraud another person. 
The words here mean to do what is wrong, to, to cheat, to take something that does not belong to you. We are not to be involved in sexually defrauding other people. Now, there's several ways that can be looked at. If you're involved in sexual activity as a single person, you know really what you're doing? You're stealing sex from another person's potential future husband or wife. That doesn't belong to you. Now, you might get married to them one day, but it doesn't belong to you. You don't know really what the future is on that. You may be stealing something from someone else's future husband or wife. You're defrauding them of something that belongs to them. That's to be an adventure that they're to be on one day as husband and wife. There's another way you can look at it, this idea of defrauding other people, and that is simply taking advantage of somebody else. Taking advantage of someone else where your goal is personal gratification. It may be physical gratification. It may be emotional gratification. And I'll tell you, Chip Ingram gets about as frank as I've ever seen when he writes this. He says, if you know someone's weakness and take advantage of it, you're arousing desires in that person solely for your own personal gain. Guys use it to get girls to give them oral sex. They see a girl who's insecure and is afraid of losing the relationship, so they figure if they can't pressure her to go all the way, they can at least make sure they get something from her. Girls can work it too, getting their needs met by taking advantage of how guys are wired visually by dressing in ways that they make sure are not only they're being noticed, but really being sexually desired. By the way, I, I want to take just a, a brief second here to talk to the guys, okay? So, girls, you can just tune out for a moment, but I want to talk to the guys. Particularly, I want to talk to single guys. And guys, if God calls you into marriage, He's going to call you into a special future leadership role in that relationship. And leadership starts right now right where you are. I want you to turn back a page or two, or actually to the right a little bit, a page or two, to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 5. Now, I'm just talking to the guys here for a moment. But I want you to see, guys, it's very important. In fact, it's interesting. I, I went through this verse in the first service, and I had a guy come up to me and said, you know, that verse saved me in a lot of the decisions I made when I was a young man. It's talking about how we are to relate to other people. And he says that you're to appeal to an older person as a father and to younger men as brothers and to older women as mothers. And here we go, guys. And younger women as sisters in all purity. The leadership that God wants us to have begins now. That's the way we are to relate to other single gals as sisters in all purity. Let me ask all of you a question. When you look at what you are wearing and what you are saying and what you are doing, is it pleasing to God? We are to steer clear of sexually defrauding others. Why is that? Why does God say that to us? Why does He take time? He's writing a letter to a church. 
And he takes time to say that. Why? Well, there's a couple of reasons why. (laughs) The first one is simply this. God takes it seriously. God takes it seriously. Look at at verse 6 again. Let no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we told you before when we were with you and solemnly warned you. The Lord is the avenger. The word is ektakos. E-K-D-I-K-O-S. The Lord is the ektakos. He will reap some consequences because he takes these things seriously. Um, Look a couple pages to the left, to the book of Colossians, chapter number 3. Writing to believers. And he's saying, if we make bad choices, there will be consequences. Notice chapter 3, verse 25. He who does wrong makes wrong choices, will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. God takes it seriously. God sees what goes on in the shadows of a parked automobile. God sees what goes on on the couch and in the bedroom and in motel rooms. He is never left in the dark. And when we choose to defraud someone else sexually, we are in essence flaunting the grace of God. And we are disrespecting the mercy of God. Now, I understand. I understand that as believers and followers of Jesus, we are immune from and protected from eternal punishment. Praise God for that. Yet... A loving Heavenly Father is more than willing to discipline His children to redirect us back to His path. And He will do that because the goal is to get us back on the path. And I wish we had time. And we were in a culture where we don't have time. It's just amazing to me. But if we were to take the time today, there are many people here who could share the story of how they had scooped fire into their lap and been burned by it. We are to steer clear of sexually defrauding others. Why? Number one, because God takes it seriously. Number two, we are to steer clear because it's inconsistent with our calling. It's not who God called us to be. Look at verse 7. For God has not called us for the purpose of sexual impurity, but in sanctification. We have not been inducted into a life of sexual impurity, but rather we have been inducted into a life to be marked by purity and holiness. We have been designed by God to be set apart as special. And you know what His dream is for you? It's the same as His dream for me. That we would honor Jesus in how we live our life. And that includes how we practice our sex lives. And that brings us down to verse 8. And, and I cannot think in the New Testament of a more blunt bottom line verse in all of the New Testament than verse 8. I mean, this is really blunt. So, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. 
Richard Mayhew, I think, just does a great job of rewording what Paul is really saying here. He writes this, The one who continues to live immorally rejects God's spirit, rejects God's will, rejects God's call, rejects God's word, rejects God's pleasure. To put it simply, they reject God. Now that is a blunt statement. Is that not shooting straight from the heart of God? And you may be sitting through these messages and you may, you know, on the inside you're doing this. I don't want to hear this stuff. I'm not buying into that stuff. Just want you to know, when you respond that way, you're not rejecting Bruce. You're not rejecting Paul. You're not rejecting the elders of this church. You're not rejecting Wildwood. You're not rejecting your parents. It is straight up deliberate rebellion before God. That's as straight as we can shoot it. Now, we've looked at some very, very, very incredible verses, but we do want to walk away with a plan. We want to walk away with some life response, and the life response I want to talk about today involves an ABC approach. Let's look at them very quickly by way of life response as we move away from this part of God's Word. First thing, We need to do by way of life response is aim high. (laughs) Live to honor Him. Romans 12.1 says we are to present our bodies to Him as a living sacrifice. That includes our sex life. Don't aim low. Aim high. And live to honor Him. Second part of the life response. Be ready with advanced decisions. Be ready with advanced decisions. Romans 13, 14 says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. And if we are going to keep sex sacred, we need to be ready with advanced decisions. See, that's what I'm talking about. Again, I know what my own vulnerability and susceptibility would be. I say, if I'm going to be in a motel room in another city somewhere, I'm blocking the thing. I know that before I go there. That's what's going to happen. An advanced decision. And we need to have advanced decisions and be ready with them. You need to have an advanced decision if another person says to you, let's lie down in the dark and let's watch this movie. You need to have an advanced decision about what you're going to do about that. You need to have an advanced decision if you are married and someone else of the opposite sex invites you to lunch. You need to have an advanced decision about how you're going to deal with that. If something unhelpful or unhealthy appears on television, have an advanced decision about how you're going to deal with that. Switch away from it quickly. You deal with that ahead of time. And and we need to in our life, and this is why I want you to carry this away and I want you to ponder this and reflect on this for a while. We need to, each one of us need to know, what are the yellow lights going to be for me? And I need to know what's going to happen when I see that yellow light, what I'm going to do about it. Maybe a yellow light would be lingering glances from someone else of the opposite sex at work. And you go, whoa, 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 yellow light. I'm going to deal with that right now. I know how I'm going to deal with that. Maybe a red light for you would be continued touching that tends to arouse yourself or the other person. And you go, that's a red light. When that comes up, this is what I'm going to do. And if you are in the process of dating, you're single, you need to determine ahead of time, what is the line I'm not crossing? Make an advanced decision about that. 
So we need to aim high. We need to be ready with advanced decisions. And then the third part of life response is this one. We need to confess our sins to one another. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And you know, I don't know what all's going on in your life and you really don't know what all's going on in my life. But I believe that there are some of us who are way overdue, way overdue to confess our sins to somebody else. To go to someone else and say, you know what, I'm struggling. I am really in over my head and and I need you to pray for me. And maybe even help me a little bit in this situation. I want to put up for you James 4, 9 to 10, as it is in the New Living Translation. And I think there's really encouragement here. Let there be tears for the wrong things you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. And sometimes that's necessary. But it goes on to say, when you bow down before the Lord and admit your dependence on Him, He will lift you up and give you honor. Let's pray together. Father, we... Man, is there any... any book like this in the universe? The Bible is amazing. And Lord, we know that you have called us to keep sex sacred. You want us to be different. And I would pray, Father, that you would help us, each one of us, to excel more in this area of our life. And that may mean different things for different ones of us. But we want to live in a way that's sexually honorable to you. And we want to steer clear of defrauding other people, taking something from them that doesn't really belong to us. Father, I would pray you'd be at work in our life, especially if if some of us are right in the middle of the muck. and We're just caught in the ditch and we're not sure how to get out. And I would pray that you would give to them courage to step up. To shed some tears for some of the wrong things that maybe have been done. And then to bow down before you and admit our need of forgiveness and for you to empower us. And then to experience how you will lift us up and give us honor. Do great things, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.